You're listening to Stories Behind the Songs with Chris Blair. For more information, check out chrisblair.com. Hey, everybody. In this episode, I'm sitting down with another one of my great friends, Kent Blazy. I have known Kent for, gosh, 17, 18 years now, probably, and uh, he is just an incredible, incredible songwriter, but more importantly, he's just a great guy, super humble, always down to earth, and uh, I just love him to death. Um, He's written so many of some of my favorite songs. I am a huge Garth Brooks fan. Garth is actually the guy that got me into music in the first place. Garth was the reason I moved to Nashville to pursue music and um, Kent has written so many amazing songs for Garth. Let me just give you some titles that he's written for Garth and and many other artists. Ain't Going Down Till the Sun Comes Up, Um, Getting You Home, The Black Dress Song, Chris Young, If Tomorrow Never Comes, It's Midnight Cinderella, My Best Days Are Ahead of Me, She's Gonna Make It, Somewhere Other Than the Night, Uh, You Can Let Go, That's What I Get For Loving You, can't get enough the patty loveless song i mean it's just i could go on and on and on Uh, i love this guy so much and i can't wait for you to check out this episode let's get to it this is stories behind the songs with chris blair and my guest this week kent blazing hey everybody this is chris blair with another episode of stories behind the songs and today i am sitting here with my buddy kent blazy kent so good to have you. Honored to be here. Man, it's uh we uh we have known each other for a long time. You have played the listening room since the very beginning. Exactly. In Franklin, which every a lot of people think of the beginning of Cummins Station. Um, right. but you've no, you've Franklin. actually been here since the beginning. Yeah. So and I'm so proud of what you've created. Oh, and man. it's a wonderful place to play and uh, great staff. So Thank you. Oh, I, it's it's my honor, man. It's uh, love love what we do. So yep, yeah, exactly. Well, for all the listeners and everybody watching, let's just go back to the beginning. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, just kind of like, what what made you decide like, you know, I've got to do this music thing. Well, we'll go way back. Let's do it. I was actually born in Woodstock, New York, before it was Woodstock, New York. But even back then, it was an artist community where you had painters and writers, the Hudson Valley painters, a lot of them were from there, and uh, people would come up from New York City that were actors to do the playhouse. So as a little kid, I'd go to people's houses and somebody would be working on a huge painting, and uh, I was like, that's cool. Or, or somebody would go, I wrote a book, you want me to autograph it to you? And even back then I thought, now that's a good way to make a living. And my dad worked for IBM, and he always said, you know, don't do what I did. And uh, he was very supportive of me. And back then, IBM meant I've been moved, so we moved to Lexington, Kentucky, <laughs> and that's pretty much where I grew up. And um, but I always took that thing of being self-employed and and doing something artistic, just from because that's the what Woodstock was. And my sister was an artist, a photographer, and uh, so kind of in high school, I started writing poetry and. St- and uh, some of them would end up in the high school yearbooks or high school newspaper. And so it's like, well, somebody must think these were okay. So it wasn't the Beatles that got me into wanting to have a guitar, it was the Birds. And that 12-string guitar of Roger McGuinn's, Mm. I'd never heard anything like that. And so uh, I started asking my parents for a guitar. And of course, uh, 
they got me like most parents did back then and probably still do the cheapest hardest to play guitar yep. you ever could get in your life now the newer ones are way better for kids starting out but back then they were terrible but so i immediately hard steel strings hard just steel make strings you bleed. about that high yeah. off the neck yeah. and uh your fingers did bleed from it and um so it was one of those things where the minute i got it and kind of learned some chords i thought well you know i've been writing these poetry things why don't i put some lyrics to the songs and started doing that and some people in other bands heard them in lexington and liked what i was doing asked me to join bands and then some other bands started playing my songs and so i was like well i must have a little something if these people are doing it and um then i just went out on the road kind of like you did you know and came pretty close to a record deal a couple times and another group that was doing my songs came to nashville through harry warner at bmi and they were pretty close to a record deal and they got beat out by a group called wild country who turned into Alabama. Yeah. And so I didn't feel too bad about that. Yeah. But Harry was very encouraging. And then I played guitar for a guy, Ian Tyson, up in Canada. He's kind of like the Canadian Bob Dylan. He wrote Four Strong Winds and Someday Soon and some things like that. And so I was his band leader, and he would let me open his shows with his band but play my songs. And he was very encouraging mm. and said, you need to get down to Nashville. And... Uh, so I was kind of getting tired of the road, as you know. And um, so I went home from playing with Ian for a couple of weeks. And a friend of mine, Sonny Lemaire, is in the group Exile. And they've always been friends of mine, being from Kentucky. And they had a new guy in the band, Mark Gray. And Mark was this amazing singer, songwriter, piano player. And so Sonny said, well, you know, play him some of your songs. So I played him, and Mark said, you need to move to Nashville. So I had two people telling me that. So the minute my wife got out of grad school in Bloomington, Indiana, we headed down here and, and dug in. And I was very lucky the first year and a half I was here, I had a top five song with uh, Gary Morris on Headed for a Heartache. And yeah. I thought, this is really easy. I got like six songs recorded in two weeks. And I thought, oh, I got this. Yeah. And then, oh, yeah, you got it. <laughs> and you... you so let's go. So what what year was that when you moved here? 1980. 1980. The fall you got, of 1980. You got it. If I remember right, you got a publishing deal. Yes. And then and then that publishing company closed while that while that song went to number five. Correct. Right. Yeah. And uh, actually, the publishing company had already been closed, and so the guy I wrote it with Jim Dow, who'd been uh, running the publishing company, he kept the publishing on it, and so that was good for him. And the funny story was. Jim was a great athlete, and so back in the 80s, uh, there were softball teams for every record label. And so there was like 20 record labels at the time, and they all had their teams, and it was very competitive, and Jim was a great athlete. And so um, Gary Morris was on the same Warner Brothers baseball team as he was, and uh, so he pitched him the song on, on a cassette during a baseball game, <laughs> and uh, Gary ended up cutting it. and. It's like, oh, okay. You never know how songs are going to get exactly. cut. Exactly. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So, uh, early '80s, you're in town. Mm -hmm. uh, you're you're starting to write a lot. Mm -hmm. You meet a guy by the name of Bob Doyle. Bob Doyle was at ASCAP. Uh, encouraged me to come over to ASCAP when "Headed for a Heartache" was a hit. I was with BMI, and BMI paid about half of what ASCAP paid. And Harry was at BMI, which was the reason I went there. So I switched over, thanks to Bob Doyle, to ASCAP and met him, and we became friends. And that was probably 84, or 85, something like that. Yeah. 
and he was early on uh, in management as well and had you, uh, he introduced you to a, a, a little unknown demo singer. Well, actually, he was a cleaning church and, and uh, selling boots guy when yeah. I met him. And uh, Bob called me up and he said, I've got this kid and I know you've got a demo studio. Would you start using him on some demos? And I said, yeah, bring him by. And then I found out that Bob had quit ASCAP to manage this kid. And so I thought, you know, Bob Doyle quitting a job at ASCAP, this kid must really be something. And so he brought him over and um, they played me six songs on a cassette and I loved what he was doing. I said, I'd be glad to use you on demos. And when they were leaving, Bob said, well, he writes a little bit too. <laughs> so I'm thinking, okay, he's cleaning churches and selling boots, you know, I'll write with him. And uh, so we set up a writing appointment for about four months later, which I'm going, why did I wait so long? Um, and the first song that we wrote together was If Tomorrow Never Comes. And I thought, this kid's like 25 going on 50. And uh, we became close friends. He became my favorite demo singer next to Trisha Yearwood. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden he went from... Uh, cleaning churches and selling boots to being Garth Brooks all around the world. I feel like it was almost like being around when you were a friend of the Beatles or something. Yeah. You know, one minute it's one thing and the next minute it's just a totally different thing. Yeah. And the cool thing about Garth is, and this doesn't seem like it happens much in the music business anymore, we're still friends, we still write, you know, we still hang out, and that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know him well. Um, but the the handful of you know six eight times that i've been around him he is always like you hear the stories but he's he's always been super genuine like that he really is me. i mean you know, he still remembers being the poor little kid in oklahoma yeah i um we did a we did a show with him during covid i remember that and um i uh victoria shaw uh was doing this this thing and and he was on that show and i was outside to meet him with a, a mask on and mm -hmm. you know all of that and i had some buddies out there uh that were trying to keep the fans from from just getting all over him right sure. when we got here and I'll never forget it. He gets out of the he gets out of the car and he looks at me with the mask on mm -hmm. and he said, "Hey, Chris, I recognize that face." Yep. With a mask on. I know. He and, he's scary and, in that way. Yeah. And then uh, and then you know it wasn't a lot, but it, I would say there's probably eight, ten people that were you know back in this parking lot. Mm -hmm. And you know, and I I had some big buddies of mine that were like you know bodybuilder kind of guys right. like being the security guards. walking him walking him in, and he's like, "Hey guys, I, I need a minute." Yep. And like walks over to him, you know, and just like he took a picture and hugged every single one of those people. I know. And uh, I mean, it's just it's amazing that, um, you know, you are you are at the right place at the right time. And exactly. you guys, uh, you know, all of these years later are still very close friends. And, you know, yeah, there's really nobody like him yeah. I mean, as far as his memory and as far as his uh honesty and what he does for people he just showed up at the live hospice show he did at the bluebird in january and played all the night and then just stayed i don't know how long signing autographs for people even out in the parking lot and yeah it's it's amazing yeah we uh we stood in the back uh in the green room here and probably had a 30-minute conversation that you know his story with george Strait was my story was him right that was he was he was my you know the guy that i that i 
looked up to and the reason I moved to Nashville, the reason I got into music. So right. it was, uh, it, it, anyway, it's, it's, it was just, it's really cool that, um, you know, you've, you've had so much success with him. So let's, let's dive into a little bit more of that. So the first song is if tomorrow, if never, tomorrow comes. never comes, uh, and then, um, you know, you guys start writing a lot together and, mm-hmm. and what was, you know, what, what was happening after that? Like, just walk me through just, well, what was happening after that was pretty much nothing uh, for either one of us. He had uh, been trying to get a record deal, and I had just lost my publishing deal, which was real good because uh, I own the publishing yeah, on If yeah. Tomorrow Never Comes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we pitched him around town, and we thought we'd written a really good song, and we pitched it around town for about a year, and nobody's interested. And then one night he got to play one song at the Bluebird because an artist who was supposed to show up for a showcase didn't show up. He sang If Tomorrow Never Comes, and Lynn Schultz from Capitol, who was there to hear the other guy, heard him and said, you know, I passed on you three times already, but maybe I missed something. Why don't you come back in? (laughs) Went back in and got a record deal, and his first single was Much Too Young, and the next one was If Tomorrow Never Comes, and his first number one record. Yeah. And then, Amazing. And, and then uh, you, you went on to um, you, you. You've written how many? How many songs with Garth? You've got "Ain't Going Down," "If mm-hmm. Tomorrow Never Comes," uh, somewhere, somewhere other, other than, than the uh, night, "Midnight uh, Cinderella." She's going to make it. Yeah, I, I he's mean, been just, very generous. I think I've had more songs recorded by him uh, than any other writer. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. This episode is brought to you by Brit Skin Beauty. Located in the beautiful Indulgence Medi Spa in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, Brittany is the go-to esthetician for facials, dermaplaning, microdermabrasion, waxing, lashes, and any skincare products and consultations. So many people in the music industry use her frequently, and her work speaks for itself. To schedule your next consultation or make an appointment, visit BritSkinBeauty.com or send an email to BritSkinBeauty at gmail.com. And then, I mean, you know, you obviously, uh, you know, going back to the to writing poetry and getting a guitar and figuring out like, OK, maybe I should put music to this. You've been extremely successful. I mean, obviously, the, there's the, the Garth uh, stories, but um, you've had you've had cuts by numerous other people right. and, um, you know, several number ones. Um, and uh, one of my one of my favorite songs by Chris Young uh, the black dress song. You know, um, that's my favorite Chris Young song. Yeah, too. I bet it is. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, we we have a dear friend Corey Batten. Yep. And so Corey is an incredible singer, songwriter, performer, so and he good. wanted a record deal. So we started doing the whole thing of showcases and whole bit. And um, RCA was interested in him, so we set up a meeting and went down and played him. Uh, played them his project and I knew it wasn't going good because the woman we played it for was watching the worst hundred hurricanes in the last hundred years at the same time. Oh man. <laughs> and so Corey was kind of disappointed and um, when we left another A&R person came up and said to me hey I've got this kid Chris Young I'm working with uh, we got nothing going on for him if he doesn't have a hit he's gone would you write with him and of course Corey's standing right next to me and I said can I bring Corey and they said we don't care what you do just write with Chris so we set up a writing appointment and he didn't know anything about us and we didn't know anything about him and it was one of those days that 
songwriters dread where nobody liked anybody else's ideas mm. so i could see Corey starting to sweat because here we have an artist which is hard enough to get with yep. and if he doesn't have a hit he's gone and Corey is a spewer you know you'll be working on something and he's in another room singing something else and he's also like a, a sixth grader or something when he gets hungry his head goes down on the desk when we're writing i'm like Corey, you need some food yeah Every songwriter's starving, right? <laughs> and so I got where I'd fix him organic hot dogs because they were quick and easy, and he got good at getting the relish and mustard out. And one day he was getting the stuff out of the refrigerator, and I heard him saying, all I can think about is getting you home. And I said, Corey, what is that? He said, I don't know. I just made it up. So I said, make it up in my phone. So I had it in my phone. We got nothing. We're sitting there for a half an hour, 45 minutes, and I said, there's something on my phone that might work. Let me find it. So this was like six months before, and I found it and played it. And Corey said, I love it. And I said, yeah, it's your idea. And Chris said, well, we don't have anything better to write. So we started writing it. And um, we got to the walking through the front door, and none of us could think of what would rhyme with door. And so I said, well, how about seeing her black dress hit the floor? And they turned on me like vipers. Corey said, you're just a dirty old man, <laughs> whatever. And Chris said, well, I'm trying to get on the radio. And I said, well, okay, you guys come up with something better. They didn't. So finally they, they put that in there and we took it down to RCA and they called me the next day and said, we love this. We're going to cut it on Chris. And so the next, uh, week they called up said we cut it we love it it's going to be his first single but we want to change something and i said okay what do you want changed and they said well we like the title getting you home but in parentheses we want to call it the black dress song so i felt like the dirty old man yeah. got vindicated <laughs> and uh it kind of became known as that when it became a hit you know yeah people say play that black dress song and Man, I'd kind of forgotten all about this but uh, as you're telling that story i don't know if you were there or not were you were you at the coming station show when Corey was playing that song it was right after it went number one um and i walked on stage uh, i don't know okay you would you would know okay. so i were you wearing a black dress i was uh yep yeah uh -huh. were you there yep i yeah. was there i i had uh <laughs> we were we were kind of celebrating Corey and you that night and um and uh, I, uh, a girl. I'm trying I was, to block it out of my yeah, mind. Yeah. You know, but. Well, like I said, I kind of forgot about it too. And right. then I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot I did that. I went that in the funny, back room and put this this tight black dress on. You look good, man. And, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I think there's a video somewhere, but I remember. There's a video somewhere. Corey is, is jamming the song out. And, mm -hmm. I, and I walked on stage as he's playing it. And everybody's dying laughing, and mm -hmm. I and he never stops, right? Right. And and I go around and I start unbuttoning his shirt from behind, <laughs> and he just keeps on playing the whole time. Yeah. Lays his head over on my shoulder. I think it was just like he's he's man, a it good, was, uh, he's such a great improviser, you know. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, that was wonderful. And I think Mason Douglas did that one night at another show too. So. Yeah, I've actually I've got a I've got some videos of Corey and Mason together when we were closing our Franklin spot wow and they were ad-libbing and uh, oh my gosh it's i've got it on youtube somewhere it's like a private link i'll have to find it and send right. it to you but i love that yeah there was one night we were doing a show at douglas corner and he'd had this song out if you'd have called yesterday that julie yeah. roberts oh, did. such a good song and he got into this whole spewing thing about uh you know you're gone but that's okay i went and got me a 
a Slurpee today. And I mean, it went on for like 10 minutes. It was just so ad lib and people were falling over in the audience. It yeah. was so funny. And so everybody plays that Slurpee song. And of course he'll never do anything again that he did one time. So, yeah. but yeah, crazy guy. Yeah. So, uh, so that's Garth and Chris talk mm -hmm. about some of the other, uh, hits that you've had. Well, the cool thing, the other thing I wanted to bring up that Garth was really good at putting different people together, you know, like everybody thinks we knew each other when we started out, Pat and Tony and Vic and all that. And yeah. we, we kind of did, but um, Garth called me up one day and what he would do, which I thought was really smart, was if we wrote a song or he wrote a song with somebody else, he would play it for other writers and get their feedback. So he calls me one day and he says, uh, hey, I, I played our song for this kid. A kid was 15 year old, older than him. And he said he hated it but he liked the line in it, and uh, he thought maybe we could turn it into a song. Would you write with him? And so I'm thinking, well, he hates my song. Yeah, I'll write with him. <laughs> and it ended up being Kim Williams. Mm. And once the three of us got together, there was just a magic there that ended up, I don't know how many songs we wrote together, but, you know, four or five number ones. And, and uh, that's the kind of guy he was, too. He just kind of would put people together that he thought would work and it yeah. usually worked and you don't see that very much either you yeah. know it's like everybody wants to keep it all in a small area but um you know i was very lucky uh diamond rio did uh that's what i get for loving you and it didn't go to number one but it went to two because midnight cinderella went to number one mm. so that's not a bad thing you, when you're looking at you've got number one and number two on the charts that's pretty exactly. good exactly and I, I got to go to the uh grand Ole opry that weekend and they both played the song which you know that was pretty cool to yeah. me the gar's playing midnight cinderella and they're playing that one so uh a lot of miracles you know yeah it's a it's a miracle town sometimes what and you uh did you did you go on the island tour uh, I went on the Ireland tour with Pat and Tony and Kim Williams. Was that, that when? 2001, I think. Okay. Yeah, because you, you guys, I don't remember the name of it, um, and I think you released it. You put, a, you put like a songwriter's album together, right? We did. Yeah. yeah. And what was so funny was called In the Beginning, and it was, uh, you know, Pat, Tony, Vic, me, Kim, um, Stephanie Davis, uh, Dwayne Blackwell, it was really a cool thing. There was like 16 songs on there. It was called In the Beginning, and it was on Harold Shedd's label at the time. I can't remember what it was called, v VCR or some kind of thing. And it sold better than a lot of um, the country artists at the time, which was interesting. And then, of course, when it was time to get paid, they went bankrupt. Mm. So we've never yeah. seen a penny from yeah. that record, but it was a really good record. And uh, the cool thing when we were on that Ireland tour was um, when we were over there, people kept saying, hey, this guy Ronan Keating's cut if tomorrow never comes. And I had no idea who Ronan Keating was, you know, and everywhere I'd go, they'd be saying that. And uh, I'm like, well, that's cool, you know. And so all of a sudden they bring in a, a newspaper. It said Ronan Keating's song, If Tomorrow Never Comes, goes number one in Ireland. I'm like, okay, what? that's cool. And then the wow. next thing, he's, they're showing me, he went number one in England. And then he had a huge hit around the world with that, Everywhere But America. I mean, you'll be really? in Italy and you'll hear it on the radio or, you know. Wow. Uh, it's pretty cool. That. Yeah, That's really cool. And uh, I guess it was about the most country thing he ever did, you yeah. know. But he did a great job. It wasn't at all like uh, Garth's version, but 
It was uh, probably a bigger record than Garth's version. Wow. I'm going to have to go dig that up. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's really cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. So you just never know where a sh song's going to show up. I think Pat Alger and I did a show a couple weeks ago at the new uh, Belmont Symphony Hall. I don't mm. know if you've been there. But I haven't been there yet, you, but you I've heard it's check. amazing. It's amazing. It's like stepping into Vienna or something. But he was telling me he's had two heavy metal groups do Thunder Rolls. Really? And both have gone number one at different times wow. on the heavy metal charts. So who knows yeah. how a song's going to show up. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Sennheiser Microphones. When we first started this podcast, we were using some older microphones, and Sennheiser came in and sponsored us and gave us some MK4s and 914s. And I mean, I'm telling you, it's made all of the difference in the world. We love these microphones. We use them at the listening room as well. And I just can't say enough great things about them. Go check out Sennheiser.com. If you are into music in any way, their microphones are hands down the best on the planet. Go check them out, Sennheiser.com. And thank you, Sennheiser, for the support and the sponsorship. We love y'all. With all of these songs that that you've you've written with success or or not um, things that haven't been released, do you have a favorite? You know, it still has to go back to "If Tomorrow Never Comes," and I think part of that is um, just the fact that it was Garth. But it was kind of like I'd always prayed to write a song that would touch people like mm -hmm. that, and. Uh, you know, we were really disappointed in that year we pitched it, but once he got out on the road, we got so many letters from people and still do of using it for all marriages, funerals, yeah. weddings, uh, graduation, you know. So it's very cool to see what a song you wrote can do around the world. How long did it take you to write that song? That was really interesting because, you know, when you get together with somebody the first time, I always say it's like a first date. You never know yeah. what's going to happen. And so the, the funny thing was I always try to be prepared in a songwriting session to have at least maybe six or seven hooks I can run by somebody. So I was sitting on my couch and Garth walked in the front door and he kind of came up and stood above me. And he was pretty tall anyway, but at that time he was wearing hats and uh, tall boots and stuff. And he, he said... Uh, I got this idea I've run by 25 writers and nobody likes it. That's a good start. <laughs> yeah, and so I said, gee, thanks. I looked up at him. He kind of got a little testy, and he said, well, don't you want to hear it? And I said, yeah, play me what you got. So he played me what he had, and I said, I love this. It's like my mother used to tell me, tell the people you love how you feel about them while they're still alive. And he said, well, what's wrong with it? And I said, you're killing somebody off in the first two lines of the song. It's like killing the star of the movie off. Where are you going to go? And he said, well, what would you do? And I told him. And uh, it just kind of flowed out. I mm -hmm. bet it was three hours to write that song. And um, we did a little work tape of it that day. And the interesting thing was, Gar said I spewed out the whole first verse. And so when I was going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. They wanted to see the lyric, and so I pulled it out, and on the page, at the bottom of the page, he had written all the first verse out in his handwriting, and then the rest of it was my handwriting up at the top, and he's never written another lyric down the whole time we've written songs. He's got that memory you're talking about, but yeah. that one, I've got, I've got his handwriting on it, so it's pretty cool. So I guess I did spew it out. I, I don't, I mean... That's that's another like it's it's one thing to remember the names like he just sees somebody and he he remembers who you are your name like what like 
your I mean, kids. Like, yeah, like how? how yeah, like how's Britney do it? Like, I mean, he literally was like, and like I said early on, like I'm not close with him. I've you know I've met him a half a dozen times, and it just had some good conversations, but you know it it we're not we're not like friends, right? Like it's right. just you know it's but it's it's further than that. Like I've seen him on stage where it's people like uh, just whether it's NAM shows or you know, whatever, like where he's just in a room and people are just throwing out songs that are eighties rock songs or whatever. And he just looks up at this, at the, at the ceiling for a minute and then just starts picking, I mean, almost the lead parts of the guitar and he's remembering lyrics to yep. things. He, he's a savant. I mean, that's all I can say. I've got to have the uh, lyrics written out to songs I've written in front of me. Like, exactly. I mean, it's like, yeah, he can, he can pull out. In fact, there's a game, uh, that somebody gave us, uh, got passed around Nashville about, you know, name the songs or whatever. And so I was talking to Allie about it because I got him one. And she said, he wins every time. <laughs> I said, of course, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, he knows every song. It's just about been done country or pop or whatever. And yeah. uh, it's it's amazing how he does that. Um, I think one of the one of the things that I love about you, too, is that you're not only an incredible writer, an incredible person, um, Thank you. but you also like you still get out and you rock it. And when I say that, like you literally rock it with your electric guitar right. and your full band and like. So, That's my true. Well, electric guitar is my true love. I mean, yeah. I was in rock bands before I started uh, moving in the country and I moved in the country kind of because of Roy Nichols, who was Haggard's guitar player and Buck Owens guitar player, Don Rich. And what they were doing pulled me in at first more than the country songs, you know, and then the birds started going country and Burrito Brothers and Graham Parsons and all that, which kind of steered me to uh, what the lyrics were in a country song, you know, and uh, and I still love doing it. And uh, in fact, I'm working on a new record. I'm going to re be recording it the last of March. And it's a lot about that. It started out being, I went to Liverpool this last year and got a picture with me at, with the Beatles uh, statues on the dock. And I was wearing a Bluebird sweatshirt. And so I thought a good title for a record would be From the Beatles to the Bluebird. Mm. And so I started kind of writing songs about how the Beatles had moved me and music like that. And then it turned into... I uh, wrote a song about McCartney, about how he's still out there, you know, at 80-something years old, he's still singing them in the yeah. same keys. And so the song's called I Want to Die Young at a Very Old Age. And that's he's an inspiration for me, still out there doing it. And I still love doing it, so why not still do it? Yeah. And uh, it's fun to go in and do a record. It's fun to come here and play with the band. And uh, I've got two great different bands. Uh, one's a couple guys in John Party's band that... It's just a blast to be playing with them when I can get them. And then these other two guys, David Santos and Peter Young, they're just so excited about playing, you know, yeah. and it just excites me about that. So thank you. I, I love doing it, and I love having the opportunity here to do it. Yeah. You've got a song um, that Party Cut, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Empty Beer Cans. Yeah. So I, I bet that's fun for that for the band to go back. and. Yeah. Uh, and, and Lee Francis, who's the bass player, in in my band plays for john and he's the band leader and he introduced me to john back when john didn't even mm. have a record deal yeah i think that was the first song we wrote uh with tia sellers who's of course amazing yeah so. yeah man it's just it's been uh it's been an honor to be able to call you my friend and you know just the the, the stories that you've got are just i mean i feel like we could talk for days on you know just peeling back the layers of 
all of these songs um well thanks yeah we can do it again whenever you know yeah and uh like i said before i'm just proud of you and what you've built mm. and uh you know it's in in your own way you've created something magical for nashville yeah and boy during covid you guys kept it going and um most other people couldn't do that and uh gave people a place to hear music and gave us a place to play so thank yeah. you no thank you it's yeah it was those were tough times for everybody but, yes yeah. it's been sad to see uh you know some some very close friends um with iconic venues here in town that you know have shut shut down yeah you know they just and, uh, knew they couldn't do it because yeah. who knew how long it was going to go yeah and you guys were so good on the protocols and all that like i said your staff was amazing and uh it was an outlet when we needed one yeah yeah um what uh out of out of all the songs let's try to break down um you know a story the story behind so yeah you pick uh you know one of the, one of the songs that you feel like has got just a good story of take us into that writing room and kind of how these different ideas or life stories or whatever came together to piece this uh well, the, the interesting one to me is uh, somewhere other than the night, because when Garth and I get together, he usually comes in with something he wants to write. And if he doesn't, I have something that he'll kind of want to write. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so this one day was like the Chris Young Corey thing. Um, he had gotten so freaked out by If Tomorrow Never Comes that we had a hard time writing after that because it's like, well, not, that's not as good as what we wrote. Well, that's not as good as what we wrote. And that went on for almost a year, you know? Mm. And so finally one day we, uh, we were getting together to write and we had the situation where he didn't like my ideas and I didn't like his ideas and I didn't like my ideas and he didn't like his <laughs> ideas. And so I had this Labrador retriever that he loved who loved to play Frisbee. And he said, well, let's just go out in the backyard and throw her the Frisbee and we'll sit around, we'll talk about, you know, whatever. And so we went out there and threw her the Frisbee for a couple hours and talked about the music business and women and politics and the whole bit. And it was probably one of the really last times that we got to visit his friends before just the avalanche of everything took off. And um, so we we're sitting there and it's kind of getting to be near the end of the day. And I thought, well, we're not gonna write anything. And so we went in the house and he picked up a guitar and he sang a line and I sang a line to him. He sang a line, I sang a line. I thought, well, we're writing a song. So me and he's kind of a cowboy from Oklahoma. He wanted it to be about a rancher who had been neglecting his wife. and. Um, so I hadn't watched Oprah Winfrey. I just heard about this. Uh, she had a show called uh, What Turns Your Man On When He's Coming Home From Work. And so the one woman said, well, I get naked and I wrap myself in cellophane. And when he opens the door, there I am. And we both went, oh, no, that doesn't work. <laughs> so I said, thinking about a, a cowboy rancher, I said, well, how about her standing in the kitchen with nothing but an apron on? And of course, he liked that. Yeah. So we put that in there and then we were keeping writing and we got it done and we were getting ready to do a little work tape in my studio and and he said, I want to put damn in here twice. And I'm thinking, well, there goes any chance of a single. And I said, why do you want to put damn in this song twice? He said, well, I had much too young to feel this damn old and Tucson wouldn't play it. So I want to put it in there so they won't play it. <laughs> so in my brain, I'm going, does that mean he's going to put it out as a single or he just doesn't care? And so he put it in there twice and Tucson never played it. 
and in fact Corey's from tucson he said he had to drive up to phoenix to hear the song but wow um you know that song just kind of came out of nowhere yeah and um so you just never know how they're going to show up but that one's pretty special to me because of the way it just kind of morphed into something from nothing yeah and i mean to think about you know you could have just thrown that frisbee and called it a day that's right so man that's, he doesn't that's like great. calling it a day very often yeah. that's the good yeah. thing about him you yeah know? nobody works harder than he does yeah well i'd say that's the same for you well, i mean i remember i saw him when he was going to go off the road and raise his kids I, he was driving down music row in his old red truck and he stopped and went, where are you going i said well i'm just going to see somebody so we'll get in and i said god you look really tired and he said well, I've only had four or five hours sleep a night for the last 10 years. Mm. And I, that's when it really hit me. And I've been around him when, you know, we're on a bus going somewhere and it's three o'clock in the morning. And he's signing autographs or yeah. answering letters or whatever. And it's an inspiration. Yeah. You know, uh, another guy like that, Skip Ewing, you know, an amazing singer songwriter who just had to get out of Nashville. But I remember one day we were at Acuff Rose and it was like 530 on a Friday and and he, we were the only two there, and he said, this is why I get songs cut. I'm still here. Everybody else went home. I yeah. Thought, Man, that's true. That says a lot. Man, it is so true. I, you know, not obviously don't want to mention names, but, I mean, one of the things that I love about what we get to do here is I see all of these artists before anybody else. Right. You know? And it is so fun. Um, and... I could I could name tons of them that have gone on and mm -hmm. you know you, that we see on award show and they're they're super successful um, and the good thing is the majority of them are are true to who they are right and they still we still talk That's they're still friends hear. they still come back all of that but man it's like I mean there's there's a handful of them that you know it's it's like if I saw them on the street. And I mean, we're talking like close friends that we used to stay together in, in Key West or whatever, right. you know, and like that, um, you know, they just lose that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's one of the things that I've always loved about Garth and other artists like that is that they they they're doing it for the fans and they they truly love it. And, right. um, you know, there's people that have that have played outside of Nashville that you know I was going to go see and you know like well they they're not they don't do meet and greets anymore right. you know it's like what like yeah just, I know what you're talking so, about yeah so um yeah it's just it's 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 cool that he still uh you know he still does that stuff well and the cool thing is that you've given so many people an outlet um to come to town that want to play somewhere and be able to work a crowd and see how songs go over in a crowd. And mm -hmm. that's a very important thing. And when I moved to town, we had TNN and we had Opryland. And so many of the people that were doing the shows at Opryland went on to get record deals yeah. like, uh, well, Diamond Rio's one, Dean Dillon, you know, yeah. they were all playing there. And they could also go on TNN, which was kind of a, you know, funky little channel, but they could find out what it was like to be on TV with cameras and all that before they had to hit David Letterman. And so they're more prepared on what to do. And uh, 
So you're one of the few places that gives people that outlet that's going to help develop them every time they're here. They're going to yeah. get better. They're going to know what it takes like to work a crowd, work with other songwriters that are on the stage. So it's way bigger than you think it is sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's cool. I appreciate that. Um, as we wrap up, I love, uh, I love to ask this question towards the end. Mm -hmm. So if you could go back to eight year old Kent, knowing what you know now and all the success you've had, what advice would you give yourself or someone else that wants to do this? Well, it kind of goes back to that thing of, if you really want to be a songwriter or an artist, whatever, go try to do something else. And if it keeps pulling you back and you can't live without doing it, um, you better just go see if you can do it. And there's no guarantee, you know, it's like that Don Henley song, why does fortune smile on some, let the rest go free. Uh, but you know, you're gonna be 60 years old and sit at home and go, wow, I wish I'd moved to Nashville when I was 20 years old or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think even at eight years old, and it was partially seeing these people that I, I saw being artistic that maybe I can make a living at this. And um, I, that always was in my mind at eight years old, at uh, when I started getting the guitar, maybe I can make a living at this. Um, and I just, I never gave up. And there were times I probably should have given up. And, uh, you know, there were times I walked away from it, but it kept calling me back. And I, that's my advice for anybody. If you can't do it, anywhere else and it's still calling you back you better come back and at least see what what you can do that's great that's great advice and and buddy i'm glad it called you back i am too it's, it's uh, been a, um, an amazing trip we would not have a lot of the the soundtrack of our life uh without you thank you so thank you for writing such great songs and being in the room with with great people that you know have taken them to the radio so. Well, and you know, it's like me being able to come here and play new records I'm doing and uh, let people hear where I'm at now. That's that's a, an amazing thing for me to be able to do, too. And so you you're very uh, open on letting me do that. Yeah. What is next for you? Do you have new albums coming out? I've got a new album coming out. I'm going to record it at the end of March with uh, John Party's guys and Steve Allen. And it's that Beatles to the Bluebird. And uh, it's kind of a thing about how I got into this thing. And, and now a lot of the songs ended up being ones about Kim Williams and uh, about aging in the music business. I don't know how I came up with that, <laughs> but you know how things have changed so much, but how like McCartney's still out there. He's not yeah. letting anything stop him. And yeah. Mick Jagger and Bob Dylan, my God. I yeah. just bought that songwriter book that he dissects all the songs. You yeah. Know, he's yeah. 90 years old. Yeah. And you read it and you go, well, now I know why he's Bob Dylan. Yeah. So, Sting's got a, a book like that too. That uh, I have to check that out. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, man. We uh, we went to see um, the Rolling Stones when they were in town. Um, you know, and just I saw them in '16. Yeah, I don't know. I think they came back since. Yeah, we. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was recent. It, it was probably two years ago. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, 21. I think something Unbelievable. like that. Unbelievable. But like, just I mean, he he's running around stage like like he's. 30. I yeah. mean, it's just, um, it's, it was it's, crazy. It is. It's inspiring. And, you know, the day I saw him, it was like 95 degrees at Nissan Stadium, and I'm sweating. Yeah. And he's just up there running around for two hours. Yeah. It's, it's amazing inspiration. So, 
Yeah. Well, man, thank you so much for oh, uh, thank you for being a part of this, and uh, <sighs> I I can't wait to uh, you know just keep uh, keep watching the success, and we'll uh, we'll put out in the liner notes where people can find your album too. Awesome. And, um, you know, we urge everybody to everybody that's out there listening, make sure that you go buy this music. Um, you know, on, the stream- hopefully on Apple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, we could have a whole show. About oh that. man, yeah! Don't even get me started. No. It's, uh, uh, yeah, you, yeah, you've you've seen all that change. I have I mean, seen that gosh. change so drastically. Yeah. Um, Corey Batten's teaching school. Yeah. Isn't that it's, crazy? Yeah. Most talented people I've ever met. Yeah. I mean, we're. I, I'm. I'm grateful for guys like Bard at M- NSAI, and yeah. you know, just. Uh, Lee Miller. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Steve um, Bogart, all those guys really in the trenches all the time. Yeah, but there is there is so much left to do that, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like we could just keep going about that. But, I mean, it's – songwriters is a job. I mean, it is – people go and, and, you know, I think everyone takes it for granted when they're driving down the highway blasting out their favorite songs. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a dying breed because – the system is broken and, and exactly it's it's yeah it's i think just, we've lost uh, four or five thousand songwriters in the last five or six years yeah. in nashville yeah thank god for uber yeah right <laughs> yeah yeah it's nuts so we'll uh yeah maybe we'll come back and have a whole episode on that it's, that'd uh, be awesome yeah so just the public needs to be made more aware you know they have kind of a glimpse at it but uh, music has be- just become so easy. Oh, I want to hear this. Go to Spotify. There it is. Where before, you know, the the Beatles or the Rolling Stones would ride on a bus three hours to hear Tutti Frutti or a yeah. Chuck Berry song or something. Music meant so much, and yeah, and uh, we would sit down and listen to whole records, and and uh, it was an experience. And I don't know if that's that experience is there as much anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the the songs that you wrote on on uh, Garth's first album. I mean, I, I remember I was in a Target parking lot in St. Louis when that album came out, and I remember yeah. opening that up and reading all the liner notes. And of course, I mean, this is long before I moved to Nashville and didn't even know what songwriters were. It, to be honest, right. you know, it was like um, I was an artist at that point, playing in bands all over the place, but didn't understand what writing was like and um you know that was anytime something like that came out i was like i couldn't wait to get you know to get to target or walmart or whatever and 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 buy that buy that record and just read all the lyrics all the liners everything and that's that's one of the sad things about the way it is now nobody knows who's behind the scene yeah because i was the same way you know i would read who are all the writers on everything that I bought, you know, and who played this and who did that. And uh, it just gave a depth to what you were hearing, you know, and yeah. you could find somebody else through that. Now you just go, well, Spotify, who's like this? And there it is, you know. Yeah. It's, it doesn't seem like it's as exciting as, well, I found Dan Fogelberg because of James Taylor or something right. like that. I mean, the 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 cool thing is, is you – you can all of these other new artists can get their music out to right. the world without a major label. Yes. So that is that is the good thing. But the piece that's broken is that the artists aren't getting paid, the songwriters aren't getting paid, you know, and it's just like it's it's um that can't be sustained for right. them. Yeah. So 
Well, and now they got AI that can write songs. Oh my gosh, that is so scary. <laughs> yes. I was uh, AJ Cross um, was playing around with it and just the 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 scary part is is it wasn't a bad song. Right. It was like okay, we'd change a few a few lyrics here and there, but it was like otherwise it's like that's a pretty good song. It's like man. Well, they it's, may be getting it ready for when they run all the songwriters out of business because yeah. then they don't have to pay anybody. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, honestly, that's what you're talking about is a true commercial for this podcast. It's it is the stories behind the songs. It's the whole reason I wanted to do this is because people are forgetting what who the people it. are behind the scenes, right? You know, and that's the you know obviously most of who I'm sitting down with are the writers because that's my world. They're you, people like you are my friends, and I want to tell these stories, but it's also the, the road guys, it's the producers, it's, it's the publishers, it's, you know, it's everything, you know, you show up to see a concert at Nissan, you know, when you show up to see Rolling Stones, you know, nobody knows what's happening for hours and hours and hours that day, starting at early in the morning to set all that stuff up. And it just, um, it's and lost that they on probably people. got another whole crew going to the next place, exactly. getting ready to set it up yeah. the next day. Right. So yeah, yeah. I know. So, um, yeah, we just, we just want to keep telling these stories and, um, letting, letting people know people like Kent Blazy. Well, they write, you, write the you hits. Know. Thank you. So it's been an honor, my friend, and, um, can't wait to do it again. Same here. Thanks. All right. Well, this has been another episode of Stories Behind the Songs with Chris Blair and Kent Blazy. We'll see you next time. This has been an episode of Stories Behind the Songs with Chris Blair. For more information after the show, head over to chrisblair.com. That's where you can find information on these episodes, trailer notes, video links, all kinds of great stuff. Also, make sure to leave us a great rating on iTunes. Like and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. I really hope that you think this show is awesome and we really appreciate the love and support. I promise to keep gathering great content and continuing to sit down with more amazing songwriters and artists as we grow. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for the support. We'll see you next time.